0: Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. We're into a new series now called Simplify, and uh, last series... We did pretty good with the bumper video and uh, everybody kind of got into the hey thing at the end. And so we were thinking this time it would be great as a a church family when when the whole word simplify shows up at the end, if everybody just said sort of monotone, simplify. Um, I don't know. Uh, Parents, I, I wonder if you can identify with this. Have you ever seen that experience in your world? Uh, If you've ever traveled with children or grandchildren, uh, they are happy to bring absolutely everything and uh, pack it as best as possible, and we wait for that. Kids are special that way, but if we're honest, maybe the rest of us grown-ups know what it's like uh, to face some of these same issues just differently, like this. Um, Not sure if I have too much stuff or not enough storage space. If you've ever had to downsize at some point in life, that's a good time where you're like, okay, maybe we did accumulate way too much stuff. Stuff is a reality in our world and in our lives, isn't it? Um, On May 21st, the Globe and Mail published an article with a giant headline title. Here's what the headline was. The great junk transfer is coming. A look... I didn't think you could use complete sentences and turn it into a paragraph as a heading for a newspaper article, but they did. Uh, a look at the burden and big business of decluttering as Canadians inherit piles of their parents' stuff. The article was interesting and raised uh, a lot of interesting thoughts for us to consider, especially pointing out that uh, in recent history, people who were raised under the influences of the Great Depression and world wars in particular, so just knowing what it's like to live with lack or live in a time of fear, uh, have developed a, a profound ability to treasure things. Maybe you know somebody in your family who's really good at treasuring things. And I'm sure throughout all of human history, there have been some who excel at it better than others. But when you throw a Great Depression and some world wars into a common fairly common human existence, it means that there can be generations that have a very high value of the same kind of thing. For example, treasuring things. Some of these people who are now moving into homes and their kids are handling the inheritances after their passing and so on are discovering that their parents or grandparents had a special gift in seeing the potential and usefulness in nearly everything. Right? Why get rid of it? Because there was a bit of a fear. What if we run out again? So anything and everything could become useful. The article raised uh, three results of the pending transfer of stuff. Number one, uh, there's business opportunities. If there's a resale company that's willing to show up and take stuff from that home and they do the work for you, that's a great business opportunity right now. If somebody's looking to develop business, do that. Number two, there's an even greater growth in the storage business world. I remember as a young person, I never really saw or thought about storage companies, but I certainly am seeing a lot more of them these days. Why? We have accumulated stuff, or other generations have accumulated stuff, and we don't know where it all belongs, so we'll put it away and think about it later, right? Decent business opportunity for somebody else if they want to. Third result of this movement is it really is addressing or causing most of us to address how we think about stuff. How do you think about things? How do you value stuff? How do you make decisions with what is kept and what is not kept, uh, maybe in your parents' or grandparents' world, but also even in your own? The article went on at one point to say this, how we treat the stuff of past generations and how we divest our own belongings to the people we love offers a lesson in what we value too much and perhaps don't value enough. What matters in the end? What endures? That's the challenge, what to take and what to leave behind when you close the door on your parents' home the last time the article followed several stories of people in Canada right now who are working through sorting through their parents belongings and figuring out what do I hold on to and what do I do with this in the picture that you'll see now a woman named Brenda Thompson who is sorting through her deceased parents belongings in Granville Ferry Nova Scotia said something I think was pretty interesting and this is her by the way laying in a pile of her parents stuff When I finish with mom and dad's house, I might as well keep right on going and start in the attic of my own house. You see, for many people, considering other people's stuff is making them think about their own things and the need to go through your own storage unit or your own attic or whatever it may be. How you and I handle stuff Things, possessions, matters. Maybe you haven't felt like this is a topic for church dialogue, but it is. How you handle things is part of your spiritual life. It's a reflection, isn't it? We use this word possessions, but it's a curious word because do you possess it or does it possess you? Who owns who is sometimes the question, and that actually becomes a spiritual matter in our lives, and Jesus has a lot to say about things, about stuff, and about how we handle them. I want to share a few of Jesus' quotes, just sort of the the highlights, a short Short selection of sayings from Jesus. And while we will land on one in Matthew chapter 6, if you're turning in your Bible somewhere, you can go there. We'll land there in a moment. In that place, Jesus does actually give a bit of direction. He gives some instruction on, if you're my follower, here's some things you should do or not do. Be aware of this. But before we get there, I just want you to look at three comments from Jesus that aren't really, they're not do's and don'ts, they're divine observations about how life actually works. He sort of comes in and just drops a truth for humanity and says, Take it or leave it. I mean, you can try to live differently than this, but it won't work. So in Luke chapter 12, Jesus says this Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. This isn't a command. It's not an instruction, it's a divine observation about what's real in life and existence. And life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Notice he doesn't say here, don't get new shoes or another fly rod or the next vehicle or the next boat. He's not saying that, he's just making a divine observation about something real that he feels us as humans need to be pondering and thinking about here's something for you and I to consider. The most valuable things are not in your closet or in your garage or in your investment portfolio. That's not where abundance is found. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, you cannot serve both God and money. Notice he's not saying you shouldn't, serve both God and money. He's actually pointing out it's not possible for you to serve both at the same time. You can't accomplish this. Now, as humans, many of us give it our very best effort, don't we? But by God's grace, because he cares for us. One of the things we talked about in the last series a little bit was that Jesus is passionately intolerant towards things that enslave people that do damage to us, that bring destruction to us. And the reality is, if we begin to believe a lie that we can somehow serve both God and money or possessions simultaneously, we've believed a lie that is actually destructive to us as people. It disfigures our humanity. It disfigures our reflection of his image in this world. And Jesus, because he cares for you and I, does not want you and I to be possessed by our possessions. Jesus in Acts chapter 20, says this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. The, the word blessed there can mean fulfilling or happy. It's not just sort of like, you'll get more blessings and more, you know, if we, if we read Scripture in a self-centric, Western, materialistic, consumeristic way, we might approach a passage like that and say, oh, it's more blessed to give than to receive, so then I should give lots because then I get more, right? But we've missed the point then. Jesus is saying there's a more fulfilling way to live when you orient it around giving rather than receiving. Now to our main text for today. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is in a series of teachings in this part of the book of Matthew, and he gives some great counsel. For many of you, you've heard this before time and time again. I want us to give good consideration to it again today. He says this, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, Where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. And then beautifully and poetically ties it up with this line For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Through this series, which is gonna last through the month of June, I'm looking to this book, which I've really enjoyed. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Some of you may have heard of him or this book. It's excellent. I'd encourage you to pick it up if you haven't read it before. And it tackles what he proposes to be one of the greatest uh, illnesses in the Western world, which is hurry sickness. And in it, he dedicates a significant portion to talking about simplicity. He raises some important questions that we should consider, and so I want to bring some of them. I've reworded some of this my own way, but here's some important questions in light of what we've talked about already for you and I to be considering. Number one, if someone took an inventory of my life, what would my bank statements and possessions say about where my heart is? Second, what if the formula more stuff Equals more happiness is bad math. Third, what if more stuff just equals more stress? It's actually pretty true when we're honest about it. I mean, I'm seeing a lot of heads going, it is very true. Yet what will most of us go on and do this week? Consume and buy more. And then we have to figure out where do we keep this? Where do we store it? What do we do with it? Fourth, what if more stuff actually equals less of what matters most, like peace, contentment, fulfillment, relationships, time? The list could go on. Lastly, what if I were to reject my culture's messaging about possessions and values and better reorder my life around Jesus' words and ways? Now, if there are any skeptics in the room or online who are just saying, wait a minute, I don't know if culture is actually messaging, you know, some sort of materialistic, consumeristic approach to life, let me just enlighten you. It's tilted entirely towards benefiting from you, succumbing to a materialistic, consumeristic approach to existence, and Jesus, by his grace and love for you and I, interrupts culture's messaging with some helpful sayings that we've just looked at. I want you to think with me just about some things that hopefully help us realize what's going on in the world around us right now. History would say that after the Great Depression and World War II, several leading countries put together several minds deciding that the world could be rebuilt in a new way. One of the contributors, named Paul Mazur, who was an executive in the Lehman Brothers Investment Banking Company, wrote this in a book. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. Now, he's speaking about America, but I think most of us in the Western world can acknowledge. We see this around us everywhere now, don't we? I mean, if you think of the whole of human history, Humanity, for the most part of our historical experience, has been needs-oriented, and God comes in promising to meet our needs. But at certain intersections in human history, including the one I'm referring to in this quote, there have been times where humans have capitalized on the idea of what if we can sell this idea to people that it's not just about what you need, it's about what you want. And you could live in pursuit of what you want all the time. You could build an economy. You could build a civilization around that. Paul Mazur carries on saying this. People must be trained to desire, to want new things, even before the old may have been entirely consumed. Isn't that true? Pathetic illustration from my own life. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry to always bring it back to food. Uh, But there are times where I am eating my first plate of food and I'm already making plans for the second portion and I haven't even gone through and enjoy. I'm not enjoying the first plate. I enjoyed it enough to decide there must be more and so I'm getting there and I've got to, you know... There's strategy, you know, on your plate. Like at Thanksgiving, what you do with the potatoes so there's room for the gravy to sit in a little... little uh, sort of make a little ocean of gravy and then the turkey lives there and all that kind of stuff. Um... But while I'm eating, I'm thinking about what I'm going to have next. Uh, I'm sorry that I'm like that at times, but it, it's kind of laughable. Laura and I were away for a few days this past week uh, in a part of the world where there's just a lot of tremendous eating options, restaurants, sort of high concentration of great restaurants, celebrity chefs. And I would be eating in one restaurant, planning what's for second lunch or second dinner. You know, I'm not even presently enjoying I've bought into this lie as well, that I, you know, at times I won't even take delight and simply just enjoy what I have. Missouri carries on. We must shape a new mentality. Man's de- desires must overshadow their needs. I mean, it sounds like we're reading something right out of like some corrupt villain's journal or something like that. But this was published in a book that was shaping economics decades ago. So has there been any success <laughs> in this? Yeah, I think so. Statistics would say that everybody in this room today will see a minimum of 4,000 advertisements today, upwards of 10,000, that's the average. And you may be like, well, I, how have I, have you been on any device today? Did you scroll through anything today? When you were on the device, was there a symbol on it anywhere? Boom, advertising. Um, did you wear a piece of clothing? Did you see its tag? Advertising is around us everywhere. Just think about a few hundred years ago. I mean, people were hardly seeing any advertising ever. You got what you needed, and they didn't feel that they had to flog the meeting of needs with a bunch of branding all over it. John Mark Comer observes... That economics are now consumer-centric, built, and listen to this, dependent on people spending money they don't have on things they don't need. Exhibit A, your garage, your storage space, on and on and on the list could go for many of us, right? Seeing this on the horizon, Mark Twain quipped, civilization is the limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. How true. As the absurdly wealthy oil tycoon John Rockefeller famously said when he was asked, how much money is enough? Just a little bit more. It doesn't matter if you have lots, like Rockefeller, or a little. If we don't pay attention, we can find ourselves, no matter where we are on a wealth spectrum, thinking, you know what, if if I could just have this much, then I think I'd be satisfied. You, You see how this can turn life upside down and cause us to orient our lives around the wrong things entirely? It's no wonder Jesus says, listen, you can't serve both God and money, or God and possessions. It will not work. One will ultimately destroy and corrupt you. The other will bring life to you. Now, God isn't anti-possessions and anti-having you know, things. He's not against that. There's plenty of scripture that, you know, that we can point to legitimately and not twist out of context that points that God wants to provide for you. He wants to meet your needs. He's even happy for you to delight in wonderful things. He's happy for you to work hard and experience the benefit of your work. But to do so in the rightly ordered way, where it's as a service to him, realizing that my life is worship to him. My life is not built around the pursuit of wealth or money. Journalist Greg Easterbrook, in his book, The Paradox of Progress, How Life Gets Better While People Feel Worse, (laughs) how's that for a title, observed this after studying. Ten times as many people in the Western nations today suffer from unipolar depression or the unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than half a century ago. Ten times more people. Americans and Europeans, and let's throw ourselves in there, Canadians, have ever more of everything except happiness. I had a great conversation with somebody last night who's travelled in many places around the world, and they were talking about some people they met in remote areas of South America. Life is very basic and simple for them. And what was their observation? Look at the community that they have. Look at the delight in life that they have. You know, they're not stressing about storage. They're not stressing about, oh no, mom and dad died and we have to go through all their stuff. Easterbrook in this article makes an observation that happiness can indicate how we're doing with wealth and possessions. While he does that and he does so well, I need to just be plain with you. Friends, um, your happiness is not at the center of your existence. Jesus is. And while that's truth, it is worth noting that the prolonged and growing absence of happiness is a signal of something wrong in human existence. Just as is the blissful pursuit of more and more and more as an attempt to numb something or escape something or find something. And in most cases, What is wrong is that something other than Jesus and his words and ways live at the center of one's soul. So let's return to his words one more time. I know that you've heard this and seen it before, but I think it would help us to sort of detox from our materialistic, consumeristic world. And here's one way we do it. We just remind ourselves with what Jesus said. So one more time, he says things like this. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. You cannot serve both God and money. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And he says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy but, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where, pe- where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Have you ever wondered what this treasures in heaven thing is? We won't take time to try to unpack all that that might mean. But I promise you this, as much as I love my sage fly rods, it's not that. Or your dream vehicle or your next boat or your next whatever for any of us it's not that I mean if I honestly consider what matters most the greatest treasure aside from knowing Jesus in eternity in heaven would be for people that I know and love to be there too My children are treasures that I want in heaven. My grandchildren one day. You, the wonderful people of the Comox Valley, could be treasures in heaven. Here are a few simple things we all can do. Number one, I'm borrowing John Mark Comer's language here, I like it. Lead a happy revolt against the spirit of materialism. You don't have to get angry and up on a soapbox about this one and make people feel guilty and bad, and I hope that none of you are feeling guilty and bad right now. I'm just trying to point out, here's some real things in our culture in our world, and if we're not careful, it seeps into how we think about things, and so this is a recalibration moment for all of us. So if we're going to revolt against it, let it be happy. Joyfully go through a process of uncluttering your soul and even your home and property. Number two, when you can, share things. I mean, I know what it's like. It's nice at times to own something, it's like, but I own this. It's mine. You know the seagulls from uh, Finding Nemo? Mine, 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 mine. I mean, we live in a mine, 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 mine world, right? We're all those seagulls, but... Maybe there's a lot more room for ours. Um, I'm not talking about something strangely political here. I'm talking about Scripture, actually. In Acts chapter 2, which describes the birth of the church at Pentecost... Verses 42 through 47 describe what I think for many of us in this room and online today would say, that's what I think church should be. A community of people who daily care for each other, look out for each other, help one another, love one another, serve the community for good. And over and over again in that text and again a few chapters later in the book of Acts, there's descriptions of them sharing possessions with one another, helping those who are in need. I remember hearing about a small group who when they realized, they just started talking about all the stuff that they had, and they were trying to think through, how do we use the stuff that we have to help reach people in our community with the gospel of Jesus? And so they started taking inventory as a small group of the things that they had, and they wrote a list on it, and they're like, how do we use these things to be a blessing in our community? And one of the things they realized is, way too many of us in this small group have trucks, how much have we and you know they didn't do the math there but they thought about it if we all calculated how much we've spent on trucks do does every household need one to two trucks now i'm not criticizing a truck i've got a terrible one but i love it um and maybe we'll upgrade one day right laura <laughs> pray for me um but in their story where they were living a different part of the world not everybody needed it, it was more of a status symbol it wasn't useful and so they said, let's sell a few of these and just share. Like, if you need to use a truck, borrow mine. Well, that's, that's biblical math. Now, this isn't, again, it's no guilt trip against owning a truck. It's a, great, it's a great experience. I recommend it. But it's an illustration of when you can, share things. You've got a group of friends, hopefully, in your life that you've followed Jesus together with. And maybe there's a redundancy of certain possessions that you can minimalize a little bit of and say, what if we sold this or just got rid of it and shared some of this and then you could decide what you do with the proceeds. so when when you can share things number three live by a budget. live by a budget. boy this is it's a pregnant thing to talk about this like there's so much that could be said but let me just sort of keep it simple for you some of you uh, I even just be totally honest in my life I woke up to the reality of this later than I should have and it's you know for somebody like me it's not fun stuff to work on the budget regularly but it's good stuff and so you need to do this for your own well-being but here's the second reason if you're not convinced that you need to do it for you you do need to do it for others because when you learn to live by just simple basic budgeting principles you can leverage your life towards what matters most like you can make a difference in other people's lives. So here's just some, if this is new to anybody, here's just some really simple basics. I know we have some brilliant numbers people in the church who could elaborate on this and maybe one day we'll, we'll find a way for them to help us with that. But some simple basics. Number one, what goes out needs to be less than what comes in. Some of us wake up to that a little too late in life and then we find debt all around us. And life doesn't work well debt so what comes in needs to be more than what we spend second basic in the christian faith we have this foundational reality which we must embrace which god owns it all it all belongs to him they're actually not our possessions they're his and we're managing what belongs to him you know, when we begin to understand that, and it's a very biblical point of view, when we begin to understand it that way, it helps sever some of the attachments we feel to things. When we realize, oh, this is this is God's, not mine. I'm just a caretaker of it. And then the third basic is this, and we see it throughout Scripture. The first, I mean, it all belongs to God, but the first and the best Belong to God. Now, it sounds like a contradiction because, well, doesn't it all belong to God? Yes, it does. But the biblical pattern has been, I mean, flip through all of Scripture, the first and the best always belongs to God. It's given to him somehow. So we have a tradition passed on to us through the, our Jewish roots, upheld and lived out by Jesus and the early church, of monitoring what God supplies into your life and hiving off the first and best percentage of it and giving that to his work, his advanced kingdom through the church. That's how he's oriented. It. Jesus had plenty of opportunity to shut that down if he wanted to, but he lived that out and endorsed that. And then the early church, we read about it in Acts, we read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. On a regular basis, a percentage of what they received as income or increase was dedicated to God's work through the church. The first and best belonged to him. Live by a budget. Fourth and lastly, and this t- today is what I'm most excited about. In fact, everything in this message leads towards this, a project for us as a church family to embrace this month. We tried this last year for the first time and I want us to do it again this year. Sell a thing. Maybe you have something in your home or on your property and you just realize this week, you'll realize it's redundant. I don't need it. or My use for it is done. Could you sell it? This month. And maybe for others, it's not that there's a redundancy, but God's even pointing out, this thing, there's an attachment in your life that's unhealthy too. It's not that that thing is evil, but the attachment between you and it is not good. It's destructive to you. And maybe you'll are you're waking up. You'll wake up to it in some way, shape, or form this week. And so the response might be, I'm going to sell that thing. Now, what the early church did, and we read about it often in the books of, book of Acts, they would sell things... And then they would pool the money together to help people in need. And so we're going to do that together as a church family. I'm asking every household, and even within households, as many individuals within a household as possible, find something to sell. Last year when we did this, we had teenagers in the church who decided, well, I'm going to sell something. Our children gave it a go too, and a few of them sold some things and earned a toonie. And then they contributed it towards a special offering last year. And as a church family, we sold enough things that we sent... $4,500 to Africa to help AIDS orphans have a better life. This year, we have a real tangible thing right in our own church that we can respond to that helps in response to Ukrainian relief. On Easter Sunday, if you were with us, many of you met Sasha and Tatiana, who has a church family. We were able to have the privilege of helping rescue out of Ukraine. They're here, they're setting up a new life in this community. And wouldn't it be like the church acts to sell some things in order for them to establish life in a good way here in Canada and so we want to help Sasha and Tatiana we want to continue to help them they need things like glasses some basic mel- uh, medical and dental care uh, they came with the clothes on their backs so eventually the Sun is going to show up and they will need summer clothes by God's grace I think maybe it's because we haven't bought them summer clothes yet that spring has not even shown up but I'm not sure We need to help them with a summer wardrobe and eventually a winter one for here too. And then there will be other needs that they have. At some point, by God's grace, this conflict in Ukraine will end. And they will need to return home and gather whatever things that they can. And wouldn't it be like us to help them do that? So we want to continue to help Sasha and Tatiana. And so when we sell a thing this month, proceeds will go to help them. And if more comes in than they need... We'll redirect the funds to a great organization we've been partnering with, also that's hands and feet on the ground right now in Ukraine, helping they're helping 5,000 displaced people in Ukraine right now. It's an organization called Erdo. So let's give it a try. Would you stand with me? I want to pray, and then we're going to close in a worship response together. Sometimes in our church gatherings, we hold out our hands and sort of a It's just a symbolic posture of response. If you want to join me in doing that, it's just sort of a way. I think symbolically today for us, what's good about this is our hands are open before God, not clenched. What's the posture with possession so often? I know it. I feel it in my hands. my life, I want to hold on to it, right? And the ways of Jesus are much more like this than this, aren't they? So let's hold out our hands symbolically. And God, as we do this, it's just a gesture from our physical bodies and our souls towards you saying... We want to learn how to let go of things and live open-handedly for your kingdom to come and your will to be done in the Comox Valley and around the world. We give you permission to speak to our hearts this week about something we could sell, something we don't need, or something that we have an unhealthy attachment to that we should just part with. We give you permission to speak to us about that so that we could sell it and give the proceeds to help in Ukrainian relief. Thanks, God. Thank you for calling us to a movement that's much better than just following along with the way of the world and getting destroyed by it in the process too. We want to emulate you, Jesus, through our actions and our words. Amen. Amen. Joel's going to lead us in a song of response and then we'll come close the service. got to say in the room here today, it's so beautiful hearing your voices singing together. What a privilege for us together to form a choir and sing to the one who's worthy. Well done. For those of you who this may be new to, the sell a thing idea, you may, how do I do that? Uh, How do I actually give the proceeds? We have donation boxes at the back of the auditorium downstairs and upstairs. There are envelopes there if you wish for a tax receipt for a donation you just fill information in on there and then write Ukraine relief on it if you go to give online and there's lots of online options for giving you can also select or mark on your online donations Ukraine relief I want to thank you for considering this last year we were surprised and thrilled to see $4,500 a little more than that actually come in and go out through this project Uh, we'll celebrate whatever comes in. If this year it's $12, by God's grace, we'll celebrate that. Hopefully that meant everybody participated. I'm not sure how, but you all <laughs> sold a gumball or something like that. Well done. Um, but, you know, just knowing you, I think I think we could do even more this year. There's a lot of hurting people in the world. And there's a lot of hurting people in our own community. And by God's grace church that wants to do something about that. Father, I thank you for these people. Would you bless and prosper them to be a blessing in the Comox Valley through this church and their relationships and to our world? Together, right now in this moment, we declare again our dependence upon you. We need you. We can't do this any of this on our own but we want to bring your love we want to bring your truth to the world around us right to our neighbors co-workers classmates and people around the world and we don't want to do it in our own strength and our own power it's Pentecost Sunday what a reminder for us we need your Holy Spirit presence and power in our lives as we go today and we thank you for this gift in the strong name of Jesus and everybody said amen. amen I hope many of you will join us tonight six thirty p.m. right back here in the room we're going have Pentecost Sunday worship and prayer time together. We're expecting the Spirit to move in great power. It'll be fun. Hope you can join us. Have a wonderful day. Continue to pray for the sun to show up here too. Amen. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more.